This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. Being a pilot is about passion and dedication. The early mornings, hours invested, constantly learning procedures and details, there's a lot to do. Membership in AOPA makes doing the groundwork easier so you can get into the sky. With the power of thousands of pilots united behind you, get access to exclusive resources, practical benefits, and fierce advocacy that helps enhance and protect your freedom to fly. Join us. Visit aopa.org membership or give us a call at 800-872-2672. To say it was a violent experience doesn't do it justice. It would be as though I was a badminton getting hit back and forth and back and forth. It is deafening. You can't hear yourself think. It's it's so loud. My panel, it's just looking like sparklers because you're getting thrown around. And now I've got added to that lightning. And so about this time, I made a call to ATC, and somewhere during that transmission, I believe that I was struck by lightning because I lost all electrical function in my plane. Welcome to another edition of There I Was, a podcast where we put you in the cockpit with pilots in demanding situations, and we learn how they flew out of them. I'm your host, Richard McSpadden. Today's guest is Utah General Aviation pilot Lee Trotter. Lee's been flying general aviation for over 30 years and he's got 7,000 hours, all of it in general aviation aircraft. He's a commercial pilot, multi-engine rated, IFR rated. He flies out of Provo, Utah, and he owns a Mooney Acclaim, which is a turbo version of the Mooney, and he also owns a Carbon Cub for backcountry flying. Today, Lee's gonna share a story with us where he tussled with a thunderstorm and the situation got a little dicey. Lee, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. So I know that part of your story is that you got engaged with a thunderstorm. And I know from talking to you previously, there's some to the story that you think is good lessons learned for the rest of us GA pilots. So would you mind sharing your story with us? Oh, I'd be happy to. I was a young pilot. I had been flying for about 14 months. I had a total of about 200 hours and had been instrument rated for less than six months and had a total of about 30 hours of instrument time, most of which was accumulated during my training. I had a, a Mooney 231 that I had actually done a lot of my training in. It's a turbocharged version of a Mooney. And my wife and I 
we lived in Minot, North Dakota at the time, and we traveled back to Minneapolis to do some business stuff. And mm. on the way home, I received a briefing just before leaving Minneapolis for a two-hour flight back to Minot, North Dakota. But there was a line of thunderstorms, which are not uncommon in that part of the country. And they extended down to about Bismarck, North Dakota. So I had routed myself far south to come around the bottom of those thunderstorms and then back up to Minot. So we left Minneapolis. The weather at that time was about 3,000 foot overcast. And I had filed for an altitude of 12,000 feet, which put me roughly at 10,000 feet above ground level. And I was in the clouds the entire time. And the clouds started out to be kind of uh, white and fluffy. Not much bumps. It'd be kind of a perfect beginner IFR kind of travel experience. And in route, it started getting a little bumpier. And the clouds, which I didn't realize at the time, started to go from the white fluffiness to a gray, to a darker gray, to a basically a black. Yeah. And the bumps became quite significant. And we were getting bounced around pretty heavily. And I thought to myself that I was probably either the, a new cell had developed or the weather had shifted unpredictably. And either way, I knew that I had a, my out was south. So I, I contacted ATC and asked for a south heading to divert and was denied. Mm. And again, I was a young instrument pilot and a bit intimidated by the system. So a few minutes went by and it's getting worse. And my wife isn't real happy at this point and she's getting concerned. She is not a pilot. Okay. And I called ATC a second time, asked them for a Southern diversion and was denied a second time. Hmm. At this point, to say it was a violent experience doesn't do it justice. It would be as though I was a badminton getting hit back and forth and back and forth. Mm. And we, I had, did have this A&R headsets. I think I had a light speed A&R headset. Despite that, it is deafening. You can't hear yourself think. It's, it's so loud. My panel looked like uh, sparklers that you would be moving really quick with your hand and all you see is just blurriness and mm. it's just looking like sparklers because you're getting thrown around. Yeah, and it's unnerving and disorienting all at the same time, yeah. It is, mm. and about this time, now I've got added to that lightning that starts up and these flashes of light then almost become blinding previously shut my strobes off because they're very distracting when you're in the clouds. So I had since turned those off, but the lightning was was far worse. And so about this time, I made a third call to ATC, and I'm not sure how much of that transmission was heard. To this day, I don't know. Mm. But my transmission at that point was I'm going to turn to a heading of 180. If there's anybody in my way, 
tell them to move. Wow. And somewhere during that transmission, I believe that I was struck by lightning because I lost all electrical function in my plane. Hmm. You know, there was nothing. No, there was no radio. I had my attitude indicator was, in this case, in this airplane, was a vacuumed gyro. So my attitude indicator I maintained. My airspeed indicator and vertical, uh, you know, airspeed indicator were also pedostatic. So I had those, but I, I didn't have any panel lights. I didn't have any radio. Mm. And one of my backup attitude indicators was electric. And of course, that didn't work. At that point, it wouldn't have mattered. And if the situation, if you don't think it could get worse, it did. <laughs> so here I'm flying now in the blind, no electrical and getting beaten around it just your head hitting you know the ceiling over and over again despite our i had a not just a lap belt but i i had a shoulder belt as well and they're tight as can be and you're still i was still my head was still hitting the ceiling and how's your wife doing through all of this well she's not screaming she is white knuckled and i just i remember looking over at her and I don't know that I've seen a terrified look on her face, even during childbirth. I didn't see the look on her face was just, just utter terror. And by the way, she still flies with me and Mm. uh, she loves flying, but she did not enjoy flying that day. Doesn't sound like anybody would have enjoyed flying that day. Oh no. You know, I, I was in a very bad situation and was thinking, Oh, I just hope, you know, this is going to last for a, a minute or two and I'm going to pop out the other side and, and it's going to be, you know, bad experience. But if you don't think it could get worse, it can. And it was about that time that I got stuck in a microburst. Hmm. And this is a downdraft from within a thunderstorm. And I was at 12,000 feet and it's overcast around 3,000 and rain at that point. So I have, give or take, I've got about 10,000 feet above the ground. And I burned up about 9,000 of those feet in about, I'm going to say, 20-ish seconds or so. Mm. So I was, I was probably going down at 10,000 feet per minute. Now, my Mooney on a good day with half fuel and lightly loaded, if I could climb at 1,500 feet, I'm lucky. I mean, that's good performance out of that aircraft. And I'm going down at 10,000. So you do the math and it doesn't work out and you're losing a lot of altitude. Now, at that point, I don't know if I was right side up right side down. I I don't know because at about 70 degree bank, your gyro is going to tumble on you Yeah, and it's just going to start rolling. And mine was doing that not once or twice. It was just rolling. And honestly, I would like to tell you, I was, you know, the super pilot and I, I kept my wings flat and level, but that that's obviously not the truth. 
And I don't know if I was rolling, doing barrel rolls. I can't tell you. And if you think, if anybody who's done some acrobatic training, you really can't tell. The G-forces are such that you can be upside down and think you're right side up. Well, especially if you're in IMC conditions and that kind of turbulence and disorientation, absolutely. And, and that's how I found myself. Then I noticed by this point, my airspeed had gradually gone up and up and up to the point that, you know, I'm at red line. And so I had pulled my, at that point, I had pulled my power back. And despite that, my vertical speed indicator maxes out at 3,000 feet per minute, whether it's up or down. And that's pegged. Uh, going down mm. at at least three thousand feet per minute. I mean, you're you're basically out of control, Lee. You know, this is so scary. Oh, I was. I thought I, you know, I was controlling the best I could, but Mother Nature at that point was my pilot, and there was nothing that I could do. Even though I tried to pilot the aircraft, but in large part, I was nothing more than a passenger at this point. But I was mm-hmm. doing my best to pilot this this aircraft. Doing what you could, like pulling the power back. I mean, it just sounds like this whole story is a testament to the sturdiness of how that Mooney airframe is built. And that's kind of what they're known for. Yeah. But, you know, you're in turbulent air, so you're well beyond the turbulent airspeed and approaching red line with this kind of uh, descent rate and this kind of turbulence and jostling around approaching red line. Man, what a scary ordeal. Yeah, well, that's where I found myself. I popped out under the clouds, probably, I want to say about 2,000 feet above the ground is when I hit the base of the clouds. And by some way, reason, whether a miracle or I'd like to say that I, I was just the super pilot that day. I was wing level when I came out from under the clouds. I was just going down at a tremendous, I, I mean, I was at red line. I was over 300 miles an hour, 300 knots, you know, and my airspeed indicator going down. And I'll tell you what, the ground, a thousand feet goes by real quick at that speed. And I thought at the moment, and I never voiced any of this, but I honestly thought that my wife and I would be deceased and it would just be all over in just a matter of a second. And let me talk a little bit about the Mooney wing. Mooney builds its wing separate and it's, it has a, a metal spar from wingtip to wingtip. They build the fuselage separate, and then they set the fuselage on top of the wing. It does make for a stiff wing, but it's a single unit versus other manufacturers that, you know, will bolt their wings onto the side of a fuselage. And I'm not saying other manufacturers are poorly manufactured aircraft. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying this is what Mooney does. I gave this experience to a Mooney group, the National Mooney group, and Mm -hmm. I didn't realize it, but there were a few gray-haired guys in the back of the room, and I had heard rumor that Mooney had put their wing in a jig and put it up to 10 Gs before the wing broke. And some guy stands up in the back, and he said, "Um, well, I'm actually the guy that did the test. Oh, wow. 
and your information is not correct. Yeah. He said what happened was they got to 10 G's and the jig broke. Wow. Okay. Not the wing. So I don't know what that wing could take, nor does Mooney. Mm. And the actual tester doesn't know either. So I don't know how many G's I pulled, but I wasn't passing out or whiting out as I had, you know, when you pull five or six G's. I, but I don't know how many I was pulling, but I could tell I was pulling a bunch enough that I saw my Mooney wing flex. And I'd never seen that happen before. I'd never seen it, nor have I seen it afterwards. But that wing was flexing. Mm. And I thought it was just going to crumple on me. And I was just going to go into the ground and in-flight breakup. But that did not happen. And I think what actually saved me is I, when I was wings level, I pulled, you know, when the wings are flexing back, it's because I'm pulling back on the yoke. I, I'm trying to go up using all that airspeed and energy I had. I'm trying to use it to to redirect, you know, the nose of my plane and, and maybe gain some altitude. But that wasn't happening. When the column of air hit the ground in these microbursts, it hits and then it, it disperses out lateral. And then there's little vortices that occur some distance away from the, the epicenter of where that microburst hits. And I believe that I got caught in that dispersion and the air actually, it ended up pushing me out lateral and then up hmm. in addition to me pulling up. And I, I don't know, I, I'm gonna say I was within uh, two telephone pole lengths of hitting the ground mm. when that took place. My goodness, yeah. So when you found yourself pushed out and now you've arrested the descent, you're starting to climb a little bit, how'd you handle it from there? Well, once I started climbing, so now I was, I felt actually really pretty good about the situation. And at the time, I had a handheld GPS that had a go-to function. And there was a little airport that wasn't very far from me, you know, maybe 20 miles. And I went there and, and I landed, got out of the aircraft. And I can tell you, it's almost a religious experience to feel the ground. It never felt so good. I imagine. Then reality started to come back of the situation. So I went into the little, little FBO and I called ATC and I wasn't all too happy. I had requested twice to divert and denied both times. And he asked who I was and I told him and he goes, oh, just a minute. And somebody came on the phone and I started to talk and he interrupted me and, and said, you know, Mr. Trotter, I need to tell you, you know, we've reviewed the radar images. We've reviewed, you know, the voice recordings and all they could say is we're so very sorry what, what happened. And search and rescue is currently looking for you and they were looking for a pile of rubble somewhere and he says i'm going to need to call them and you know stop that that process and mm. how about the damage to your mooney after that was there any permanent damage to it yeah the short answer is no there was no damage but i didn't know it at the time i didn't know why i lost all my electrical it turned out 
that every circuit breaker in the plane had tripped and popped. They're little, the pop-out ones. Yeah. And every one of them was popped out. And as far as the wings go, I was concerned about that. So I didn't, I didn't fly the plane. I, I brought a mechanic out and they went through and did a bunch of measurements and they, you know, went through their procedures to make certain that the aircraft was still airworthy and, and it was, and everything was fine. And with the circuit breakers all pushed back in, I had a completely safe functioning aircraft, but I didn't fly it for two days. I sat there until I could get people out there. Yeah. Pretty wise. I think just given the amount of the challenging air that that plane had flown through to just have it inspected and looked over for any structural permanent damage. So Lee, I want to go back a little bit to Let's go back to what were your indications of the weather that day? Because one of the things that I think was helpful is you knew you're out. You know, when I'm flying into tough weather, when I think it's kind of marginal, I always like to have a bailout direction, which means if the weather starts to get bad, I know it's good to the south or the west or whatever direction. And it sounds like you knew that your bailout direction was to the south. That's correct. Now, I know this is back in 1995, and we have things today that we didn't have then. I had a verbal full weather briefing, and, you know, I in those days, I drew pictures as they described it so I could get a mental image. Now we can actually have the image, and I think that's real important so you can see the the system, you can see where you're out is. I always like a plan A, B, and C, mm. you know, and I need to think about those beforehand. Yeah. I tell you, when I got into this trouble, I didn't have a lot of time to think about what I do. So talk us through your decision process to make the flight happen. Were you aware that you were flying into an area that might have thunderstorms? What was your situational awareness going into it? Well, I knew there were thunderstorms. They told me there was a squall line. So I knew the weather in this area was adverse. And so one might make a claim against me as, you know, you shouldn't have ever left the ground. But what I did is with the briefers, I said, well, what if I, instead of, if I was to go straight that would have been ill-advised because it would have taken me right through the line of thunderstorms. But they said, you're going to be over 100 miles south of the lowest cell. Mm. So I thought, you know, that was a safe margin. Yeah. And so I, I made the trip based on the weather at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And in retrospect, I'm not critical of myself for going because I, I had plan B and I wasn't going to fly into thunderstorms. And, and we all know that you, you want to stay a good 20 miles away from the, not the center of the thunderstorm. You want to fly 20 miles away from the edge of it. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I felt a hundred, I gave myself a hundred miles. Yeah. A hundred miles. I mean, that's a, that's giving it a pretty wide berth. Were you as you made the flight, were you in IMC conditions or was it nighttime or could you see? Yeah, this flight occurred at two o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. It was across the whole area. It was a, it averaged roughly 3,000 foot overcast. So I didn't know 
what the tops were. Okay. It turned out that I was not on top. I got to 3,000 feet, went in the clouds. And, you know, again, I had trained for that. Although a young instrument yeah. pilot, I had trained. That's what my instruments are for. It didn't necessarily bother me that I couldn't see. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Especially, you know, in a Mooney and an airplanes equipped for that to make that kind of trip. So it just reinforces the challenging part of when you're in the weather. Now you can't see where the thunderstorms actually are as compared to where they were briefed to be or where your forecast said they would be. So that's always to me a little more challenging scenario is that I'm in the weather. I know where the thunderstorms are supposed to be but I can't actually see them. Yes. And even today with satellite weather that we all have, you know, with, um, with Sirius XM coming into the cockpit and it's, what, two or three minutes old or something, still, you know, it's not exactly the picture. So I'm always so much more comforted when I can actually see where those cells are building or moving to. That's absolutely true. And I think you're, you're giving Sirius XM and ADSB weather a better opinion as far as the timing, because that could be 10 minutes old. And I think pilots need to look at that information as where the weather was, not where the weather is. Yeah. And it's Wayne Gretzky's quote, right, about how he became such a good hockey player. He said, I skate to where the puck is headed, not to where the puck has been. It's the same thing in weather, right? We got to make sure that we know that we're we're flying ahead of the weather, or or you know not where it's going to. We don't want to meet the weather. And you're right, the the two to three minutes is the best optimum time. But that information it takes a while to build the mosaic. So even that information, you got it two or three minutes ago, but it could be ten minutes old. And you know these big thunderstorms, they move pretty fast. They build fast. They move fast. I tried to outclimb a thunderstorm in an F-15 one time and didn't make it. So I learned my lesson pretty on about trying to outclimb thunderstorms. One of the things I've learned in that experience, and of course, you brought up a beautiful point, and that is when you're in the soup, it's really hard to tell what's, what you're going to run into unless you, you, know, you have weather radar or some other onboard modality, which, of course, in most GA aircraft, we don't have. And that is the character of the clouds. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference between white fluffy clouds that aren't really very turbulent and gray and black clouds. And one of my errors in this case was when the cloud conditions started to change, I should have turned around when I went from into the gray clouds and the gray to the black. I, I should have already been turned around. You know, it's easy to say in hindsight but I'm putting myself in your shoes, in your cockpit, and you thought the thunderstorms were 100 miles away. So, yeah, okay, the clouds are getting a little dark. I may get a little rain here, but you certainly weren't expecting to hit cells that were supposed to be 100 miles away. And that's true, but this is the lesson learned. The radar images show that it was supposed to be a northeastern track of this line of thunderstorms, and it shifted to southeast. But it could have been that. It could have been another cell that developed in the hour that I was flying mm. since my last briefing. And something, again, another criticism at, for me at the time is I should have updated my weather in route, which I did not. Mm. And 
that may have made a difference. Yeah. You know, it was an hour and, but it went from the white fluffy clouds to black in, in, in literally in a matter of just a few minutes. So the good news is it sounds like icing was not an issue here. You never incurred any icing. No, that's one of the positive things that that was intentional. You know, that Mooney can go up to 25,000 feet with, you know, onboard oxygen. And I did not go that high for probably two reasons. One is you're fighting the wind, you know, headed west. But mm-hmm. but more so, I knew the freezing level was several thousand feet above me. And I stayed below it. And that was intentional. That aircraft did not have any type of de-ice capabilities. My current Mooney does. But even then, I don't use it to fly in known ice. It, it just yeah. gets you out of trouble. It, it doesn't keep you in it kind of thing. Yeah, Lee, ice is one of those things that intimidates me flying general aviation. And some aircraft are equipped to fight it, so the FIKI-equipped aircraft. So if you're FIKI-equipped, you can go into icing. But even still, you better know the capabilities of your anti-icing and de-icing equipment. And if you're not FIKI-equipped, you just need to stay away from icing altogether. Yes, I absolutely agree with you. The, what I'd like to add to that, and especially in, in this the Northwest area, hail is very common. Mm-hmm. And the hail in those things will destroy your aircraft. Yeah, I was very fortunate that it sounded like hail hitting my windscreen. I, I think it was just, just heavy, heavy rain. But had it been hail, I wouldn't be sitting, I wouldn't be sitting here. Mm. So you mentioned the clouds getting darker could have been a signal to you that, hey, this is changing more than what I expected, and I better start my uh, diversion or bail out of this early. So darkening clouds can be an indication that it's getting more severe. And the other thing to watch for people is whenever you're trying to get on top of a thunderstorm or a rain cell or something, is to remember that the worst icing is going to happen at the very top of that thing. Just in the very tops of those clouds is where you're going to get clear icing, and it's going to have rapid onset. So people need to be careful and think, ah, I'm just going to skim across the top of this. But you're, you're actually in the worst icing conditions at that point. That's, that's absolutely true. I, I've learned that lesson on my own, even though we all talk about it. Yeah. I want to also talk about, I mean, you were denied twice. I just, I'm trying to sit and think of the scenario where you're telling air traffic control, I need to deviate south for thunderstorms, and they're saying denied. I mean, what was that transmission like? Were they giving you a reason that they wouldn't let you divert? Or talk us through that in a little more detail. Yeah. And I don't want this to sound as though I'm throwing ATC under the bus. I, I am not. I have not had any experiences in the last perhaps decade of flying that would even that this scenario would even be talked about. But I can tell you on that time, this was again another mistake. I was intimidated by the system. I was afraid, and I'll just tell you, they were. I'll use the word they were bullies, and I was afraid that if I didn't do exactly as I was told that I would lose my license, they would, you know, who knows, you know, it it would just be a very unpalatable situation. And they scared me and it affected my pilot decision making 
and, and not in a positive way. Sure. So yeah. I should have, and the E word declaring an emergency, it existed then mm-hmm. and I didn't use it and I should have, but I yeah. was afraid that if I did, there would be repercussions that would affect my ability to fly. I don't know my insurance. I mean, I, I, there was all these unknowns that perhaps weren't real. Yeah. You know where our mindset is, Lee, what, what traps pilots is that, you know, you get in this situation and in your case, this was, you know, you're deeper in the thunderstorm you want to be. And you say, I got to get out. And then the back of your mind, you're thinking that you did something wrong. And so you're worried that you don't have a lot of leverage in the situation because somebody's going to fall back and say, well, if you'd have never done this, you'd never be in this situation or you messed up here to begin with. And most of the time, first, it's not true. And even if it is true, people understand, especially controllers these days, that you're using your best judgment to make the best decisions you can. And sometimes that doesn't work out. Sometimes you make mistakes. And so that's fine. And so sometimes we get intimidated by that. And so we're afraid to say things like, hey, unable, or I I cannot accept that clearance, or center, I've got to get south now. These conditions are unacceptable. Something like that, right? Just something for us all to keep in mind is not to beat ourselves up for what mistake may have got us in the situation. Just get out of it. Yes. And and that's true. And, uh, you know, I was younger and my head wasn't in the right spot. That's why I wanted to talk about this very thing and that you're the one in the plane and it doesn't matter what happens, the decisions you make, you do what's best for you and deal with the problems and repercussions alive on the ground later. It takes a little experience to build that kind of confidence, though, doesn't it? I mean, I I can see myself in your spot being relatively young, relatively new with my instrument ticket, and so you're a little intimidated by the whole thing. So it just takes you a while to have the confidence to say, you know, I have the right and the ability to say this is unacceptable, and I must, I need your help. I must take action to get out of it. That's true. Now, I, I don't know that ATC would ever do this again today. However, you don't know that. And I just want all the pilots to know is you do what's right for you at that point in time and worry about everything else later. And don't hesitate. Don't wait a minute. Yeah. Don't, don't wait 30 seconds. Do it now and deal with everything else later. Don't worry about it. Now, what I've found now, what will happen is, you know, you'll say, hey, a center request to deviate 30 degrees left for thunderstorms or whatever. And they'll say, I can't deviate you 30 degrees left. Can you take something else? And then you work with them, right? You go, well, I could take a 180 or I could climb or descend or, you know, I've seen that today is much more the likelihood. First, they will try to give you whatever you're asking for. And if they can't, they usually come back, well, I can't give you that, but would this work for you? And that's very much more, I think, a symptom or an indication of what kind of collaborative environment we're flying in these days. And that's true. And at this experience I had, there was none of that. That wasn't even on the table. It was just the way it was. Yeah. Well, what what other kinds of lessons learned have come out of this that we haven't talked about, Lee? One of the things that I'd like to maybe touch on is when you find yourself in these tremendously turbulent conditions, 
as pilots, we can actually exacerbate or make the problem worse by over-controlling the aircraft. Mm -hmm. Mother Nature is going to take you where she wants. And if you want to fight her, you're just stressing your plane more than it needs to be. And you may cause the in-flight breakup yourself. Yeah, I, I would say try to maintain your attitude and forget about your altitude and your heading. And perhaps it's it, to some degree, you're even your airspeed. You know, I was going down and I, mother nature was going to take me there, whether I wanted to go or not. So just, you know, not over controlling your aircraft, just go with it. And if you're on an IFR flight plan and you need a block altitude or something, I, I can't stay right where I'm supposed to be, then just let them know and, and kind of go with the flow. I think that's a great point that you make that, you know, if you had have tried to fight against those forces working so hard on your airplane, you may very well have ripped the elevator off or an aileron or something. So your, your kind of balance of, to some degree, realizing this thing is going to move in this direction, I've got to allow that to happen, and then fight back where I can with the appropriate amount of pressure, that just takes some judgment. And quite frankly, most of us aren't ever going to have that experience. So you're trying to do it real time. But I feel like you make a good point that your ability to sort of balance what was inevitable and how the airplane was moving and the things you could do to try to mitigate it was pretty important. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the thunderstorms definitely need to be respected. We all know that, but it's not, you know, when you get into it, keep your cool, fly the airplane. Even though I may have been a passenger, I believed I was a pilot and I did fly that airplane. I didn't freeze. I was present trying to do the best that I could to maintain my attitude, not just personally in my head, but the attitude of my aircraft. But then recognize subtleties and make decisions sooner than later. And be definitive in them and don't accept no for an answer if you believe that to be harmful. Yeah, even if you got into that situation today where they said denied, you know, you can respond with something like, unable to accept this denial. I am declaring an emergency and like you, like you eventually did, I'm headed southbound in the blind. I'm headed southbound. If there's anybody in this direction, you've got to get them out of my way. Yeah. If that's what it takes, then that's what you've got to do. I think it's also, I have to tell you, I think your wife is really impressive that after that kind of an experience, that she's willing to jump right back in the airplane with you and go again. Good for her. She is. And, you know, like saying, I, I'm married to the best person on the planet. Uh, she's far better than I am. But the other thing, too, is I appreciate that comment. But we need to recognize our passengers and the people we fly with that we do have a responsibility for. They put their lives in our hands. You know, we get in a plane and 99.99% of the time, it's going to be uneventful and, and we start taking things for granted. But it's a, it's a huge responsibility to take these other people and put their lives in our hands. And we need to prepare accordingly. My wife, she does, she sees me prepare. She sees that I have a plan A and B. And 
I talk to her. I talk to my passengers. I may not give a commercial airline briefing, but I do talk to them. This is what you're going to experience. This is what we're going to do. And, and, and just kind of give them a thumbnail sketch of the preparation that went into it so that, that they're comfortable. You know, we want to encourage general aviation. We want people to participate in it and become pilots. And I think us that our pilots have a responsibility to show that it is safe and can be done safe. Good tips. Well, Lee, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. We're glad it worked out and happy to hear that you got on the ground safely and some great lessons learned for all of us. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to share an experience. I would hate for that to go wasted. If, if this helps one person, we will have done a great service to the aviation community. And I appreciate this forum and the work that you folks put into this to help all of us be safer pilots. Well, I'll just stress we, we couldn't do it without pilots like you willing to call in and share their stories and on reflection what they did right and what helped and what they did wrong and what they would change. And this kind of storytelling is so valuable and effective in aviation. So the, the thanks are back to you for being willing to share your story. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, that's a harrowing story. You can just put yourself in his cockpit being bounced around and descending at that kind of rate in a downburst. And it really reinforces the value of modern weather capabilities that we have. If you're flying IFR, having some kind of weather inside the cockpit, and I believe that the satellite weather is so much more capable, especially if you're flying out west in mountainous regions, having that inside the cockpit, so valuable. And still, knowing your outs before you fly, if it gets worse than you expected, which way is that front coming from? Or which way is the weather clear? How can you get to either out of the turbulence or into VFR conditions? Knowing your bailout direction is so critical. And then knowing that when you're embedded in IMC and you're in or around thunderstorms or they're supposed to be around your area, you've got to give them even a wider berth because you just can't see to verify what you're seeing on your cockpit weather. Some great lessons learned that we can apply using our modern-day technology in the cockpit to help us avoid that kind of scary situation. Thanks so much for joining us on this edition of There I Was. Alongside our producer, David O'Leary, I'm your host, Richard McSpadden. Until next time, fly safe. Hey, listeners, we want to thank you for making this one of the most popular aviation podcasts there is. Thanks to you, our listeners, for your engagement, for following us, and for your likes and subscribes on whether it's iTunes or Spotify. Those mean a lot to us and help us expand the aviation reach in our aviation safety message. If you'd like to help us and become a supporter of these podcasts, please consider a donation to the AOPA Foundation. That's aopafoundation.org. Thanks for your support, and thanks for making this podcast so successful. There I Was is produced by the AOPA Air Safety Institute. If you'd like to hear other episodes, submit comments, or submit your own story to potentially be featured on the show, please visit airsafetyinstitute.org slash there I was. Thanks for listening. <laughs>